0: Hey, it's Jordan. Delighted to be joined by Crystal Ball.
1: Uh, you are a host at the Hill and a recovering cable news uh, host. <laughs> uh, you were at MSNBC uh, on air for a while, uh, which I enjoyed you. Uh, you were there, I'd say. I'd say before this this hard turn to whatever they are now, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um,
0: well, I was I was part of the purge. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes,
1: the purge. Um, I wanted to start just with the news. So last night there was a. Uh, to CNN's credit, they did a pretty long climate uh, town hall. I Some things I would have never thought I'd heard uh, on CNN, including fracking and, and things like that. Uh, what were your thoughts? I assume you didn't get to watch all of it. Uh, what were your thoughts of uh, which candidates impressed you? I, it also stood out to me that, as usual, it was an, somebody other than a journalist pressing uh, a politician on their financial ties, uh, Joe Biden yeah. in particular.
0: Yeah, I mean, the questions from the audience were almost comically superior to the questions from the the journalists, especially um, some of the earlier moderators. I actually watched quite a bit of it. I saw parts of everybody except for, uh, I think, Booker, because I have a morning show, so that was on too late. But, um, you know, first of all, top-level thought. It is amazing and tells you everything you need to know about the Democratic establishment, that CNN is more in touch with the progressive grassroots than the DNC, right? That CNN recognizes the need to have an in depth conversation on what is an existential threat to the country and the planet, um, where the DNC, for some reason, can't see that. And I don't think it's any mystery, right? If you watched last night, I don't think it's any mystery why the DNC doesn't want to have that debate because they're trying to protect Joe Biden. I mean, out of everybody, he was incredibly poorly prepared. Um, his ideas were much less well thought out than certainly Warren and Sanders. And um, he really struggled to answer why, after taking a pledge to not take any money from fossil fuel executives. He was the very next day today going to a fundraiser hosted by a guy who co-founded a natural gas company. So, you know, those things don't really add up.
1: And, you know, I'd like to know what you think, because I've been I've been talking about this with my audience. You know, you've got to be careful. I'm not a doctor. But the more you see Joe Biden, like it's very clear. And, and you alluded to this on The Hill. A lot of this is not gaffes. I think the media keeps calling these gaffes. But I mean, this is somebody who seems to be on a bit of a delay cognitively. And, and he's stumbling through a lot of his words. Um, forget like whether you're a burner or like a Hillary Clinton person like does this concern you, watching somebody who's having trouble articulating consistently, much less remembering certain things?
0: Yeah, it's it should concern everyone. I mean, Donald Trump is incredibly dangerous as the president, as a leader, as a world figure. Like, we have to beat this guy. And we have to go further than that. We have to beat him, and then we have to address the root causes that brought us to Donald Trump. So this is no easy feat. You need someone who's up to the task. And, you know, watching him last night, watching him on the trail, as you've said, it, it really diminishes what's going on to call these things gas, right? Gas sort of has the connotation that, oh, this is actually an endearing quality. He's just telling it like it is. It's part of his authenticity. You know, he's struggling to articulate his thoughts. He's struggling to remember where he is at the time, where he's been, what he's done in his past. And, um, you know, if you're just like, forget about where you are on the ideological spectrum. If you just want to beat Donald Trump, you should be deeply troubled by that.
1: Uh, what are your thoughts? Cause like my, when I worked at MSNBC, Fox, like I traveled covering when I was at the Young Turks, I, I picture like some of these reporters like behind the rope line, like looking at each other when Biden is talking, like you look, you seeing what I'm seeing, but they won't dare like bring it up on air I think, because yeah. they don't want to lose access. You know that game. What are your thoughts? Because yeah. it seems to me like there's, there's a responsible way of having this conversation without alluding to there's something wrong with him medically. But, like, it seems to me like all these reporters and outlets are, are calling these gaffes when it's very clear it's something different going on.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm hearing rumors. I'm sure you're hearing rumors from people who, who you know who work in the industry as well, who are covering him closely or following him on the trail. I'm definitely hearing those things. And I get that there's a discomfort, right? Like you said, we're not doctors, right? We're just looking from the outside. He's never been the most articulate person. So it's hard to say, okay, is this really qualitatively different? Or is this just him? What's going on? So I think there's a genuine sensitivity there. But to gloss over it as gaps and not to directly address some of the concerns, I think does the American people deserve disservice.
1: Right. Uh, I want to cover with you. You worked at MSNBC. Uh, you know, he's no longer with us, unfortunately, but Ed Schultz had t- told stories about, uh, you know, he got an interview with Bernie lined up and then he was called by the president there, like, you are not leading your show covering Bernie Sanders. Um, obviously, mm. like, he was like, oh, he can't speak for himself, but like, not to get you in trouble, but like, I want to illuminate because compared to 2016 and the kind of blackout that happened with Bernie, I mean, that's child's play compared to what you're seeing where the Washington Post, like after they themselves write, like there's 500,000 something medical bankruptcies, Bernie Sanders writes the same thing, like, you know, three Pinocchios. Meanwhile, they haven't said, I haven't heard them say anything (laughs) on Biden reinventing his Iraq war record. Uh, What do you, what's your impression of the honestly unprecedented media campaign this time around against Bernie?
0: Yeah, I think you say it well. And I want to be clear, like this is not a conspiracy right i mean i did look to, to share a little bit of what i experienced at msnbc i mean i saw some of the same things that you referenced there with ed schultz who was one of the only i think the only major news host who really focused on the working class really focused on unions right the working class base of the democratic party rather than the sort of wealthy liberal elite and there was a discomfort with that right and so i think that same class I don't want to say contempt, but there is a little bit of disdain for the working class face of the Democratic Party and of the country um, that has infiltrated all of these media outlets and just comes from the simple fact that those are not mostly the people that are filling newsrooms. They're not mostly the people who are buying subscriptions to the Post and the Times, right? They're not mostly the people that the coverage is sort of being crafted for. So using the Washington Post as one example, because they've been particularly egregious, you cited this, this one instance of their quote unquote fact check that really found that Sanders was actually understating this statistic about medical bankruptcies, but they somehow managed to find a different study that disagreed with that. And then they cited with the other study, I mean, they just went out of their way to find him wrong. But I think the Washington Post, you know, they reflect the taste and the interest of white affluent liberals. That is who they are primarily drawn from in terms of journalists, those are the people they primarily associate with. So they don't see it as bias. That's just the, the water that they're swimming in, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Because it's, it, it, it's odd. I mean, Biden, I mean, the Democratic Party rightly criticized Donald Trump for reinventing that he was against the, Donald, the, Donald, the Iraq War all along. <laughs> uh, he, right. was, he wasn't, and Biden is now, I mean, provable things saying that, you know, as soon as, you know, shock and awe happened, he was against it when there's like video of him months later calling Bush, you know, he's been moderate and his deliberations, all these things, not a word. So it seems to me, yes, it's baked into like who they hire and their mindset and what cocktail parties they go to. But it also seems to be like they are covering up uh, not only Biden, but, you know, they haven't been so critical on Kamala Harris moonwalking all over the place and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, there is an agenda there, right? There is an ideological bias of this sort of um, pro-establishment, you know, pro-moderate view. That is the underlying agenda and, and ideology that's being served here. And just to pick up your on your point with Biden and Iraq, um, first of all, this is maybe the most significant foreign policy decision of our time, right? It's it's the one that motivated me to get into politics. I wouldn't be surprised if it was the one that motivated you to get into politics. My co-host Saga rising, she's on the right, same deal, right? Mm-hmm. This was a defining moment in America. And it, Joe Biden wasn't just some rank and file Democrat, right? Lots of people were misled. Okay, you can understand that, right? The administration was lying. He was chair of the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. If anyone was gonna expose the lies of the Bush administration and challenge them, and be critical of what was going on and halt the march to war on phony pretenses it was going to be joe biden but instead and this is how he answered npr he said i george bush looked me in my eyes in the oval office and i trusted him right so rather than doing his job to be critical and examine what was going on holding hearings to get at the truth he trusted george w bush and you know it matters obviously for the, the men and women who were sent into that conflict who lost their lives um for the you know the destruction that we're still dealing with the aftermath of i mean now we have the rise of isis that comes down of that iraq um you know debacle but it's also about how biden think, still has this deep space in the fundamental goodwill of republicans that he can trust them and work with them across the aisle and, Look, it's beautiful, right? I wish that was reality, but it's not. And to not acknowledge that reality is actually fundamentally dangerous. So you know, Biden on a rock, I think it's an incredibly important story. I think it gets at his decision making. I think it gets at his leadership abilities. and it has not gotten enough media coverage. Um, I would say I do think that Biden gets a little bit more critical coverage a little bit more sort of balanced coverage than um, some of the other candidates who've been the the flavor of the moment among white liberals. You know, first it was Beto, right? He was like the next coming. Then it was Kamala. Then it was Mayor Pete. Right now there's a real coalescing of, of white affluent liberals around Elizabeth Warren. And if you read the coverage of her, look, I like Elizabeth Warren. I like her policies. You know, she's way better to me than most of the field. But the coverage of her is almost absurdly glowing, right? The selfie line and the number of selfies. And there was a film critic or theater critic at the Washington Post who gave her this just, like, embarrassingly glowing review of her speaking performance, etc. So, you know, again, you can see that there there is an agenda, there is an ideology here, and there's a fundamental dishonesty about owning up to what that is.
1: Which brings me to this, because... To tell you the truth, the media, you know, they did this in 2016, like, uh, you know, Hillary and Bernie, there's some small differences, but on the same, you know, in general, they they agree. They're saying the same things, but about Warren and Bernie. But if that were true, why is it that so many wealthy, uh, you know, well-educated people are comfortable with Elizabeth Warren? To me, I don't want to sound sinister, maybe they feel like this is a bit of a wink and a nod situation. She's talking the talk to get elected, but she'll be more she'll be she'll she'll sit down and do business uh, with the establishment are you getting that impression that that is why she's so uh, popular among frankly wealthier uh, elites
0: yeah yeah absolutely I mean and again this is not to slam her it's just reality you look at the polling the higher you go up on the income scale the more support you find for her. the higher you go up on the education scale the more support you find for Elizabeth Warren and you know Jonathan Martin of the New York Times reported out how she's aggressively courting the democratic elite with the message being I'll be a team player. So, you know, it's really interesting because on the one hand she's portrayed as, Oh, she's just like Bernie, right? Their policies are basically the same. Medicare for all green new deal. They're the same. They're the same. On the other hand, it's like, yeah, but she's wonderful. And he's terrible. So if he's so terrible, but yet they're the same, like it, it doesn't really add up. So yeah, the bottom line is, do I think that, people going to these fundraisers in the Hamptons would be selling out her monogrammed cup and, you know, blocking to send her dollars and excited about Elizabeth Warren. If they really believed she was going to institute a wealth tax and break up big tech and, you know, come down hard on Wall Street the way she promises. No, I don't think that they really believe that she's going to be able to follow through with these things. Not that her intentions aren't good, but that she's going about it from the place of let me work through the institutions, let me work with the Democratic Party and the Republicans and the people that exist in the system, they know that's never gonna work. They know that's never gonna create anything other than change on the margins.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, which brings me to part of why that system's so dysfunctional, Mitch McConnell. So you're originally from Kentucky, I believe, or you've spent a lot of time uh, living there the last yeah. few years. So to me, I haven't spent that much time in there, but there are definitely progressive pockets of states like Kentucky. And I think there's a lot of like closet progressives that – are for Bernie's policies and those strong progressive policies, but have not had a democratic party that frankly speaks to them. Uh, McConnell is up for reelection next year. Do you see in the state like Kentucky, which Bernie has visited, I think he did okay in the primary there in 2016, that Bernie could play in some of these red states uh, because a lot of his messages, if you kind of de- take the taint off the word socialism, and he just talks about what socialism means to him, do you think Bernie could play in some of these red states that frankly, Mitch McConnell's very unpopular in Kentucky.
0: Yeah, no, the nation and especially places like Kentucky which has a proud um, pro-union, pro-labor, I mean militant unionism history as part of their culture and we just saw the teacher strikes there in Kentucky and in West Virginia. These are places that are economically populist, right? So in terms of ideology, if you are out there fighting for health care, fighting for people to have basic dignity and for workers to have rights, yeah, that's a message that's going to resonate. I mean, right now, the Republican governor of the state, Matt Bevin, total Trump accolade, um, is on the ballot this fall, and he may well lose because he got crosswise with workers. He got crosswise with teachers. So yeah, that kind of message that centers around class and economic populism, can definitely play in a state like Kentucky the other piece of this that I would say too is is we fixate a lot on ideology and where people fall on a spectrum that's that's important right it matters what people believe and what policies they're going to push but a lot of people on a gut level it's also much more about like are you full of shit right and basically the democratic party's been full of shit for a long time we've tried to triangulate to the center we've you know, said one thing here and another thing there. Everything's been focus group and poll tested to bits. When you're better off taking a stance that maybe polls a little less well, but people know you actually believe it and you're actually willing to fight for it. So that's the other part of the appeal of of a Sanders type candidate who is going to actually advocate for what they believe and be willing to fight for it rather than being sort of wishy-washy and mealy mouth Right now, he so asked specifically about McConnell. McConnell is incredibly unpopular in the state. I mean, he's the least popular senator annually among his own constituents, despite the fact that Kentucky's a very red state. They know him very well, and he essentially built the Republican Party in the state of Kentucky. So he's very unpopular. But Chuck Schumer and the DFCC have recruited this Woman. She's a she's a nice woman. She's well-intentioned. Her name's Amy McGrath. She was a, a she's a military veteran to run and she has no idea what she stands for. Right. Her first interview on Morning Joe, which also why would you go on Morning Joe for your first interview for Kentucky Senate? But Put that aside. She makes the case that she should be the the person to beat McConnell because the problem with McConnell is he hasn't supported Trump enough. That was her message as a Democrat then later that day she gets asked about whether she'd support brett kavanaugh she said even though she believed christine blasey ford had been assaulted she would have supported kavanaugh after an outcry over that she comes back on twitter and changes her mind i mean she's just she's a mess and people can tell that you're trying to spin us you're not telling us what you really think you don't know where you stand so it's been it's a complete train wreck um there's another candidate matt jones who's more of that Economic populist. He's a, a sports radio host. Incredibly popular. Grassroots support in the state. He's from the mountains there, um, and he'd be a much much stronger candidate. I'm hoping he gets in the race. But uh, the the person that the that Schumer recruited is just a total disaster.
1: Right. And my last question. Uh, it's kind of inside baseball, but like I'm kind of surprised. Like I've always said, like you know I have CNN on in the, uh, during the day because there's no other alternative. But now I could wake up. And watch like good stuff coming out of the hill, which uh, for people, for people that don't know, like you guys, the last few months have been cranking out really, you have a daily show and, you know, make it into shorter videos. And it's like foreign to me because you don't see like, you know, the hill is like corporate, uh, but they're allowing like a progressive a lot of a lot of coverage of Bernie, way more than you see uh, in other outlets. Uh, your co-host uh, from the right, but still makes some good points. And I'm like thinking, like, do they not see the content going out there, or <laughs> they're just because wisdom <laughs> w- wisdom wise, we've talked about this. Like, it's a good business yeah. proposition. Like, there's a lot of demand for progressive or you know fair uh, content that gives voice to progressives. Tell me about yeah. uh, being there, and you guys are growing quick
0: well i mean what my co-host and i share his name sagar is um a critique of the establishment right his is from the right i'm from the left we come down in different places and a lot of things but that's kind of our start shared starting point point. and basically you know we started doing the show and doing it the way we wanted to do it and the the higher ups here saw that it was working right saw as you pointed like This is where the energy is, the new energy in the Democratic Party, and frankly, the new energy on the, on the you know, we'll charitably call it the populist, right? But that is, we are trying to have a conversation about the direction that the country and these parties are going in rather than where they've been. And as the folks here have seen the appetite for that and the energy around it and the incredible response, I mean, I'm blown away by the way people have responded to it myself you know they sort of can't deny um that it's it's exciting it's new it's different and it's successful so um the bottom line is you guys better subscribe and keep <laughs> liking our videos or else they may pull us but uh we've been given a lot of leeway to cover the topics and have the voices on that that we want to have and um you know today i feel extremely grateful for that
1: Awesome. Uh, Thank you for taking the time. I'm sure we'll be in touch as the campaign goes and check her out.
0: My pleasure, Jordan. Rising
1: rising on the Hill's YouTube. Thanks, Crystal. Thanks, Jordan. Hope you enjoyed that last video. Hop on over to statuscoup.com where you can sign up for our email list and become a member for as low as five to ten dollars a month. Membership is how we grow. That's statuscoup.com slash join. And remember, join our email list so we can grow the revolution with you.